0: Welcome to court. Of
1: Opinion. Welcome to court. Here's your host, Welcome to Eric Gonzalez and Michael Welcome to Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. All right, man. We are one day away from the trade deadline. We have some Woj bombs and Shamwows coming in left and right, and the next 24 hours are going to be exciting. But to start, we'll talk about the rising stars that teams have been selected for Team Barry, Team Peyton, Team Worthy, and Team Thomas. Again, updating the format this year to have a tournament play for teams battling to see who reigns supreme. Of those teams, who do you feel drafted the best and who drafted the worst teams?
0: So, um, if we're looking at the teams, just to give you guys a quick rundown, Coach Rick Barry selected Cade Cunningham. Dyson Daniels, Evan Mobley, Isaac Okoro, Alperin Sangoon, Jayshan Tate, Franz Wagner. This is one of the better teams. Coach Gary Payton selects LaMelo Ball, Scotty Barnes, Ayo Desonmu, Chris Duarte, Scoot Henderson, Jaden McDaniels, Davion Mitchell. Coach Isaiah Thomas selects Precious Achua, Desmond Bain, Sadiq Bey, Anthony Edwards, Terry Halliburton, Jaden Hardy, and Isaiah Stewart. Coach James Worthy selects Cole Anthony, Marjan Beauchamp, Josh Giddy, Jalen Green, Herbert Jones, Tyrese Maxey, Jalen Suggs. So I think um, if I'm just looking at the best team, I'd probably have to go ahead and give it to Coach Isaiah Thomas. Not that I'm saying that he's got like absolutely the number one best player or he's going to have the team that ends up having the best career overall. But I just think that his team is probably the best constructed if you look at his team, he's got a little bit of everything on it. He's got a point guard in Tyrese Halliburton that is really good at setting up others, distributing the ball, and also as a solid outside jumper. He has Anthony Edwards, the offensive-minded shooting guard who could score at all three levels and take the majority of the shots on offense. You have a guy like Precious Achua, who's a switchable defender, can give you nice interior presence, rebounding inside. Same with Isaiah Stewart. Then you have Sadiq Bey. Um, a long wing that can switch, defend multiple positions and hit it from the outside. So I think that this team probably out of all of them is the most well-constructed from top to bottom. And it could very well be that Anthony Edwards ends up being the best player of all of these guys when it's all said and done. And um, I think that coach Gary Payton probably selected the worst team just because although he does have elite talent on that team, LaMelo Ball, Scotty Barnes, these are guys that could probably end up being in the conversation for having the best career as well out of all of these players. But if you look at his team, he has no interior presence whatsoever for the most part. He drafted a team of seemingly all perimeter players. So with Davion Mitchell, Jaden McDaniel, Scoot Henderson, Chris Duarte, I mean, all these guys, yes, LaMelo Ball is a six foot eight guard, but I imagine this team is probably going to struggle on the interior against some of these other teams. So those would be my picks for best and worst.
1: Yeah. So I think I would agree with you from a like long-term season play, but I think from a, like, think about the style of this game. Think about the style of what the all-star games or rising stars games are. And it is a lot of high flying, fast paced, like just passing the ball, shooting, show offs, et cetera. And so when I look at that, I think that a team like team Barry is probably the least able to keep up with these other teams, because while I agree with you on your points about Peyton's team, it is a young team that is all of these guys are under six, nine. I think the tallest guy is Jaden McDaniels, if I'm not mistaken, everybody else is like six, eight is Lamella ball. And then everybody else is like six, four, six, five or, or less. And so, I think in terms of the style of these games and then being fast paced, quick players who can get in and around that interior presence, I don't really think it's going to matter if they don't have that much of an interior presence, because I don't anticipate they're going to be running a lot of pick and rolls or high screens. Like they're just going to be free flowing, fast breaks, trying to get steals. And um, I-, I think trying to shoot lights out. So I actually think Peyton's team probably has the best constructed, like all-star style team, probably the worst constructed from a regular season style team. And then I would say team Barry is probably the least uh, able to, to keep pace with some of these other teams, but I do like team Isaiah.
0: Yeah, I guess we'll have to see how it goes. It'll be interesting to see if team Peyton can grab enough rebounds to even get on the break and play that exciting style of play. Um, Obviously, Scotty Barnes is a pretty big guy. He's going to probably have to play center for a team like this. But who knows? They do have some guys like Davion Mitchell, for example, that are pretty good defenders in the perimeter. So maybe if they can cause enough turnovers, get into those passing lanes, they may be able to keep it competitive.
1: Noah's going to be playing the five. He's going to be playing (laughs) point center. But on to the topic or the segment that everybody, including us, wants to talk about the trade deadline. It is approaching fast, and we have some good blockbusters that have come out of it. So Karis Levert and a second rounder have gone to the Cavs for Ricky Rubio, who's injured for the rest of the year, and a lottery-protected first rounder and two second round picks. Norman Powell, who just signed that large five-year extension, and Robert Covington were traded to the Clippers. Norman Powell going home to L.A., For Eric Bledsoe, Justice Winslow, Keon Johnson, and a second rounder, the Blazers, CJ McCollum traded with Larry Nance and Tony Snell, to the Pelicans for Josh Hart, Thomas Sadoransky, Mikhail Alexander-Walker, and Didi Luzada, first round pick and two second round picks, as well as some swapping rights for second rounders, and then the most recent one, DeMontis Sabonis, was traded to the Sacramento Kings for uh, Tyrese Halliburton. So, and uh Buddy healed. Can't can't forget about Buddy. But of these four trades, obviously the Portland Trailblazers are having a fire sale and have completely changed their roster in the last 72 hours. But of these four trades, starting with the Karis Levert trade, who do you think wins each of these?
0: So oh, um this is interesting. I mean, the Karis Levert trade, I think is somewhat of a neutral type of trade for both teams. I don't think it's like a game changer for either organization, but I don't think that either one significantly loses. I think that probably you'd have to give the Cleveland Cavaliers the overall nod on this one, just because Karis LeVert is a really nice player. He's still really young. You can imagine that his best basketball is still ahead of him. You're essentially adding a guy that is averaging 18.7 points per game right now. He is a pretty efficient shooter um, from the field. If you consider the types of shots that he takes, he has a PR of 17.19, which is above league average. And um, he presents pretty good size at six foot six, can defend multiple positions. He's somebody that if you're the Cleveland Cavaliers, you imagine probably helps you compete right now. And the Cavaliers are a team that they don't really see themselves as just a good story. Like they really do believe that they can probably compete this season. So having a record of 33 and 21, they are only a couple of games out from the first place team. So they feel like adding a guy like this maybe can help them crawl up a little bit higher in those standings, which have been shuffling between the Heat, the Bucks and the Bulls seemingly. So I think that for them, it's nice. It's not a game changer, but it's something that I think definitely makes them a tougher outcome playoff time, offers a little bit more versatility. And I hope gives a little bit more experience to this very young team. He's not an old player by any means at 27 years old, but he's definitely been around the league and been in a couple more situations than some of the guys that the Cavs are relying heavily on. So I think that this is going to help Darius Garland and that crew over there, adding another score.
1: Yeah. And I think, With this trade, I agree with you from like a right now perspective that it's probably good for both teams. But the Cavs went out and got somebody for somebody who's not going to be able to play for them for the rest of the season. So I immediately think that the Cavs win this deal. And on top of that, all they really had to give up was a lottery protected first rounder, which that might convey next year based off of how the Cavs are playing right now. And it's hard to think that the Cavs are not going to be in the lottery post LeBron, but that very well could be the case. And they've secured more so than having that chance to do that with getting Karis LeVert. And so then I want to jump into the, the Norman Powell trade next. And for me, clear cut Clippers won this trade. And I think the Portland Trail Blazers lost this trade for two reasons. I'll start with why the Clippers won this trade. Norman Powell, LA kid comes home Is on a team now where he's going to be able to uh, help lead them in scoring night in and night out with PG and Kawhi out. It gives them a weapon who is going to be on a team friendly deal. Yes, it was five years, 90 mil when he signed it, but the salary cap is expected to rise over the next couple of seasons. And that deal is going to look very small as compared to uh, what other guys are going to be signing later on. So I think Norman Powell going back home, it gives LA another hometown player as they build out their large arena in Inglewood, California, and really allows Kawhi and uh, Paul George an opportunity to have a younger guy, I think he's also 27, who is playing great basketball and in his two games with the, the Clippers thus far, he has scored 22 points. 50 shooting 53 percent from the field and 45 percent from three and this year for the blazers his point totals were up his field goal percentage was up and his three point percentage was up so he still is entering his peak and i think on a team with Kawhi, paul george and uh, some of the other guys that the clippers have they'll be able to unlock norman powell even more when they're at full strength. Now, looking at the Portland Trailblazers side, I understand why they did it. I understand why they want to get some salary cap relief potentially into the future, but they just traded for Norman Powell last year with trading Gary Trent Jr. away. And we talked about Gary Trent on the last episode of the pod. He had scored 30 points in five games in a row, is having a sensational year, is honestly on the cusp of putting up all-star numbers And they traded him away for Norman Powell. And now they trade Norman Powell away for a bunch of guys on expiring deals who aren't going to stay on this Portland Trail Blazers team for that long. And if they do, it's going to be on very small contracts. And all they really have to show for it then is a second rounder. So they really got nothing out of trading for Norman Powell, giving him this large contract. Then you have Gary Trent Sr. coming out this week and saying – Uh, My son, when he was on the Trailblazers, was unhappy. And now that he's on the Raptors, I see that love again in his eyes for basketball. So clearly shooting a dig over at the Portland Trailblazers, who traded away his son to the team that he played for, the Toronto Raptors. And so I just think, and you can start off with the CJ McCollum trade next, that the Trailblazers have been taking L's and continue to take L's and at this point should just trade. Damian Lillard and a first round pick to get Russell Westbrook back just to really put the icing on the cake.
0: Yeah, I mean, if they do that, I mean, that would definitely be consistent with the types of deals that they've been making lately because that would make absolutely no sense, just like the rest of the deals that they've been making lately. I mean, I think that there's not even anything to argue with what you just said. Clearly, the Clippers win. They get rotation players out of Robert Covington and Norman Powell. Robert Covington's a pretty good player, too. I mean, he's not a star, but I think that he'd be useful for any team to have. Norman Powell, twenty eight, has his best years ahead of him, averaging 18 and Robert a game Covington right now. has
1: always been a clamp down defender, so right. it, it's only going to benefit the the team. And Norman Powell played with Kawhi, so there is that familiarity already. So, like the Clippers, just fleece them. It makes
0: it just makes no sense what the Blazers are doing right now to convert Gary Trent Jr. into essentially a second round pick. Is wild, but then you know they go and they follow it up with another slam dunk deal. They go ahead and they trade CJ McCollum, Larry Nance Jr., Tony Snell. These are all guys who are rotation players and one borderline All Star. And what you get back is Josh Hart, Thomas Sadoransky, Nikola Alexander Walker, Didi Luzada, a twenty twenty two protected first rounder and two second round picks. This is all you can get. I mean, we just talked about a deal where Karis Levert was able to get a return of a first round pick and two second round picks. And that's Karis Levert. CJ McCollum, I think most people would agree is a bigger asset than Karis Levert. And you get back essentially the same exact return as what they got for Karis Levert. I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. Like I don't know what the the, the Blazers are trying to do right now. Um, it seems like they clearly don't have any sense of direction. It's definitely not, in a position to win now, but I think it's obvious that the Pelicans win this deal. I mean, I think that they're maybe not going to be a team that this deal is going to make a difference for this year, but come next season, if Zion Williamson never loses weight and gets healthy again, this looks really nice on paper to have C.J. McCollum, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, Devonte Graham, all these guys in your starting lineup. I mean, that's pretty nice, and then you get. Tony Snell and Nance Jr., who you don't have to keep these guys, but they're solid additions to your rotation. I mean, they're both useful players that are good rotation players for most teams. So again, I mean, the Pelicans fleece the Blazers. Blazers absolutely lose this deal. If you're Damian Lillard right now, I I mean, I don't know what this guy must be thinking, but he must be regretting um, this loyalty that he has given this organization. And we'll get into it in more detail towards the end of the segment, but this is just another trade that the Blazers continue to lose. And I think that no matter what happens, the rest of this free agency, you can go ahead and stamp the Blazers as the biggest losers of the deadline.
1: Yeah. And so there's a couple things to touch on with the CJ McCollum trade. The first is I read a report that apparently executives had Norman Powell's trade value higher than CJ McCollum's. And they shot themselves in the foot when they made the Norman Powell trade because they realized how desperate they were just to offload these deals. And so that immediately then dwarfed the trade value of CJ McCollum because of his injuries the last couple of years and because of Norman Powell taking over that two spot while CJ was out. I don't necessarily agree with that, but let's if we call that for what it is, then they should have traded CJ McCollum before they traded Norman Powell. The second part is it seems like all of these deals are this interim GM coming in and trying to basically rid the organization of any Neil Olshi decisions. And so getting Larry Nance and Tony Snell over was Olshi's decision, drafting CJ McCollum was, trading for Nolan Powell and Robert Covington was. And so how can I shed all of these things from the organization to start fresh, to start anew? and try to build now around Damian Lillard the way that I see fit. And so I think that's fine if that's your methodology or ideology, but don't just desperately send out flyers or send people out. Like they could have traded away Norman Powell, like they did have CJ McCollum rehab and come back from injury while Damian Lillard is still nursing his abdominal strain Knowing that the season's shot, we're probably not going to make the playoffs, but we're going to let CJ be the star of this team and see where that goes.
0: And if the they value up some, I mean, the guy is averaging 20 points per game since he came back. Exactly. So CJ McCollum comes
1: back, is the bona fide number one on the team while Damian Lillard's out and puts up 30 points a game for 10, 15 games, showing that he can be the number one on a team. Then immediately in the offseason before or during the NBA draft, they go ahead and trade C.J. McCollum for likely a haul similar to Drew Holiday or something to that effect, not for scraps and a lottery protected pick. So I don't understand why they did that. I think on the Pelican side, you need to look at the what David Griffin has been able to do since he went in there. He was able to trade away. Anthony Davis to get back every young talent from the Lakers on top of a bunch of a, uh, first round picks and pick swaps. In addition to that, then he trades away drew holiday to the bucks, gets back some players and a ton of draft capital in first round picks and pick swaps. Then he takes Josh Hart and a signing of Thomas Sadoransky and trades that to the trailblazers with a protected first round pick, which in his second to Sam Presti Trevor, treasure trove of picks is nothing, to get back a all snub star in C.J. McCollum that now he can pair with Brandon Ingram, with Zion Williamson, with Jackson Hayes, and with the other young talent that they have on the Pelicans. When I first saw the C.J. McCollum thing come out, C.J. McCollum traded was the breaking news headline. I was like, dang. Dang. The Blazers really traded away Brandon Ingram, huh? And then I clicked into it and saw who they traded and I laughed. So what David Griffin has been able to do for the Pelicans is extremely impressive. The uh, Benson family must be extremely thrilled that the Cavs and Dan Gilbert did not want to extend or give David Griffin more power in Cleveland because they were able to get David Griffin a couple years after And while the Cavs are doing well right now, and it is great to see a team and a franchise who without LeBron has done absolutely nothing, I think that the more that David Griffin continues to fleece teams like this, the more it shows that the Cavs and Dan Gilbert made a huge mistake in letting him go several years back.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I got to agree with everything that you say there, but it just seems like anyone right now dealing with the Blazers is going to look like a genius. So... If they've got anything that you're interested in, just pick up the phone and call because it seems like this GM is willing to make a deal for just about anybody. But um, moving on to the next big deal, we have been talking about this organization, offloading these players, and time and time again, they have offloaded, starting with Karis LeVert and now to DeMontis Sabonis. So DeMontis Sabonis gets traded to the Kings with Jeremy Lamb, Justin Holliday, and a 2027 second-round pick in exchange for Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, Tristan Thompson. So kind of an interesting trade for both sides. The Kings obviously are an organization that are not going to attract anybody in free agency, no matter how much cap space they have. So, and they've got this all-star-ish level player in DeAaron Fox, which they've committed a very large contract to. They're trying to see if they pair him with another bona fide all-star, if this can work. We've been saying that long term, the pairing of him and Halliburton probably isn't optimal since they play the same position. And we've been saying they're going to have to choose one. So it looks like the Kings have chosen to build around De'Aaron Fox and they're going to pair him with another all-star now in DeMontis bonus and see what it can look like. I think that if you're the Kings, I kind of get it. DeMontis bonus is not like my favorite all-star, but you know, the trade is somewhat fair. They didn't really have to give up a massive amount. They're giving up a guy in Tyrese Halliburton who maybe can be a future all-star For DeMontis Sabonis, who is an all-star right now, Buddy Heald, obviously, a pretty nice commodity. But, um, you know, if you have to sweeten the deal to get a guy who's an established all-star, I understand, especially if all you have to do is give up a second-round pick. It's not like they're throwing in a first-rounder or anything like that. So I think that it's pretty fair for both sides. If you're the Pacers, you get that fresh start that you wanted. You get two potential building blocks for the future in Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald, um, some nice young players that, have shown to this point to be productive. So I kind of like this deal for both sides.
1: Yeah, I also like it for both sides. I think the loser of this deal is uh, Tristan Thompson because now he is extremely far away from any Kardashian in California. But I think with both of the sides here, they really resolve the logjam for for both sides. And so I don't think the Demonte Sabonis and Miles Turner was working out as a front court. I think now uh, Sabonis gets to go to the Kings and gets to play more freely, as well as you have now Miles Turner being able to play more freely without having a like power forward who's going to take most of the minutes, shots, and looks. I mean, he
0: still may be traded, and we'll see.
1: We'll see. But if he's not, I think it resolves that logjam. I think from the uh Apatio side as well, they've talked about getting rid of Malcolm Brogdon, now getting Halliburton over there. They can get rid of Malcolm Brogdon either at the trade deadline or in the off season, depending on how they play together. And then from the King side, like you said, Swipa and uh, Halliburton, you knew that that wasn't going to work out. Everybody thought that they would trade the Aaron Fox, but they ended up trading Halliburton. And I think the other part too is you have Davion Mitchell who has been playing well for the Kings. So they were about to have a three guard issue with three young guards and now they've resolved that. So like you said, I think it's winners on both sides. I think that all the players involved either within the trade or within the team are going to benefit from these trades. And I think also Indiana gets back, Buddy Heald, healed and they may turn him into another trade as well, depending on what they want to do. Either- now or in the off season, or they get to have a very nice piece uh, who has led the NBA in three point percentage at various times and who's been a overall good role player.
0: Yeah, I agree. This definitely is the kind of trade that in 2K video game probably would get approved by the computer simulation.
1: Yes. Well, let's talk about now a team who is rumored to be making some trades. The Nets are in trouble. They are on a nine-game losing streak. They cannot get out of their own way. A team that was destined, everybody thought, for the number one spot with uh, scary hours. They are now seventh in the East. Do you think that they're still considered a contender for the title as they are currently constructed?
0: Absolutely not. Um, I just think that at this point, it's just that the chemistry of this team and the trust is broken. And I think that, No matter how much talent they have, obviously Durant eventually will come back. And I'm sure that when Durant does eventually come back, they're going to start winning games again. They're probably going to still make the playoffs and avoid the play in tournament whenever Durant returns, if he comes back sooner than later. But I think that it's exposed the warts of this team. I think that these guys just really do not like playing together. Like they just do not fit. Like James Harden, there have been rumors that he just does not enjoy living in New York. It's not necessarily anything against Durant or Irving, but apparently he is just not happy in New York. He just doesn't like it there. He'd rather be somewhere else. There's rumors going around that he would welcome a trade to the 76ers to reunite with Daryl Morey, go play with Joel Embiid and a contender on a team that probably he would get a role that is more suited to him. He could probably go back to playing a little bit more, um, the style of play that he did when he was ball dominant in Houston. Obviously, Joel Embiid having an MVP caliber year, he's still going to have to defer to him. But he's going to be the number one de facto guy handling the ball on the perimeter on that Nets team. So I think it may be even a better fit. But um, he obviously doesn't want to burn bridges with Durant, someone that apparently is his friend. He's already seen how that went when he burned the bridges in Houston. So there's rumblings going around that he would like to leave but doesn't want to make it obvious, even though it seems to be obvious to all of his teammates So there's that Kyrie Irving, obviously in and out of the lineup. We knew that that was going to be um, an interesting thing for their game planning to have a guy only be able to be available for 50% of the games. It's just been frustrating. Obviously in his games that he has played, he hasn't been bad in his last 10, he's averaged 24 points per game. His percentages have been okay, but it's not really translating to winning. Nobody's playing defense and they're getting blown out. There was really Um, a point in the game where they were playing the Celtics last night, where this team was legitimately losing 28 to two in the first quarter. Like that is mind blowing 28 to two in the first quarter. I can't believe that. So it just seems like this team, the role players on it, they know that the leaders, they're not really giving it their all. They're not fully invested in it. So they're not fully invested in it. So I I think that no matter what happens, it's going to be really tough. For this team to just put it all together and find the magic this year.
1: Yeah, this uh, it, it's it's unfortunate because you thought that this would potentially work out, but I think the chemistry piece is an issue because they never get on the court together. Like somebody's always injured. Obviously, everything with the vaccine mandate and Kyrie, and then James Harden has had his hamstring issues as well, which carried over from his time in Houston, but they just never can get on the floor together. And I don't understand how those guys would be able to develop any semblance of chemistry if they've only, I think they've only played probably like 20 games all playing at the same time. And that's abysmal for a team that is supposed to have three bona fide superstars that are playing night in and night out. You think about Durant's success with the Warriors or Irving's success with Uh, the the Cavs. And it was built off of Irving being able to play with LeBron and Kevin Love night in and night out. Durant being able to play with Stephen Curry, Klay Thompson, and Draymond Green night in and night out. And without those sort of touches and plays and reps, like you said about James, he probably has no ill will against Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving, but it's just not working out because they cannot get on the floor at the same time. In terms of James not liking Brooklyn, I don't think like he's going to like Philadelphia anymore from an environment perspective because it's still going to be cold. He's still not really going to be by like a beach or a typical climate that you'd experience in Houston that he grew so accustomed to and liked. So, I, I think that that environmental aspect is going to hold over in Philly. Um, I, Philly's only an hour outside of New York, so it's not going to be that different. But He's got
0: his boy, Maury, over there, though.
1: He does have his boy, Maury. So I, I think that that is the, the bigger factor is his loyalty to the person, he has not trust, the organization. Man. This is
0: the guy that believed yeah. in him when he was over in OKC and gave him that max deal when everybody thought that he was crazy for giving that six man at best that contract. That was all Maury. Mori's the guy from the start. That's his guy.
1: Yeah. So, and he's going to be looking for another max deal here next year when he's 33. So I think he knows that Sean Marks probably isn't going to give him that. And if he goes over to, yep. So we'll see. Um, But moving on, talk about a team who's turned it around. The Celtics have won six in a row now. And a team that really was struggling to start off the year is now coming into their own here as we get into the All-Star break I think I've gone on record in the prior episodes of saying that Celtics are likely a team that after the All-Star break should be able to turn it up a little bit and get back to their winning ways. But what do you think about how they turned it around?
0: So, I mean, I don't want to be like the, the bearer of bad news for the Celtics here. They obviously are playing much better. I think part of that has to do with the fact that Jalen Brown and uh, Jason Tatum are now seemingly fully healthy. That's one big part of it. But if you look at their winning streak of late, they haven't really been beating anybody that you can really say is like an impressive win. I mean, what? They beat the Wizards. They beat the Kings. They lost to the Hawks. They beat the Pelicans. They beat the Heat on a night where they had like, I think, what, a starting lineup that consisted four of their five starters were bench players because everyone just happened to be out that game. They get a win against the Hornets. I mean, I guess that one's all right. A win against the Pistons, the Magic, the Nets that we've been talking about that are struggling so much. And they've got the Nuggets next. And I think they'll probably lose that game. Um, Not because, you know, I think that the Celtics are a bad team or anything like that. I just think that the same issues that they have will still be exposed by better teams. And I still think that this team probably does need to make a move in the trade deadline Because if not, it's just going to be another team that is very predictable in the playoffs. It's basically my turn, your turn, my turn, your turn with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. They play very isolation heavy. When Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown play teams that are lesser teams that aren't um, as smart or able to bottle them up and they can get off and score efficiently, then the Celtics win. But when Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown play teams that are able to make adjustments, that are able to game plan, that have people on the perimeter that can guard and defend then the Celtics lose. So I think that they're just a very predictable team on offense. Everybody knows what they're going to do. Even Marcus Smart, their own point guard said that other teams know what they're going to do. And it really just comes down to can Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown overpower you, even though you know what they're going to do anyway. And I don't think that that's a way that you can consistently beat the better teams. So I think that they've turned the corner from the sense that, They're no longer going to be a bottom-dwelling type team. They're going to be, obviously, a competitive team. You're going to have to play a good game to beat them. But I don't think that this is a team that's going to climb up into the top five or anything like that. They're probably still very much going to be a play-in territory team. I see them, at best, getting the sixth seed.
1: Yeah, but I I think that that would be a win for them in the sixth seed because to start the season – They were having a ton of issues with uh, the new coach, the overhaul of the roster, and they just weren't meshing well overall. Jason Tatum didn't start the year off hot. Jalen Brown was really the dominant player there. And so I think that getting to the sixth seed can definitely be a win for them, getting out of that play-in scenario and allowing the Nets and Raptors and likely Hornets Hawks to battle that out. But I think that the Celtics, um, while the wins haven't been Overly impressive based off of their opponents, it still feels good to get a win, and it still puts you in the right mentality and the right mindset to pick up wins against more difficult teams like the Heat at full strength or the Bucks, the Bulls, etc. So, I think that the Celtics will still have a better second half than their first half, and will likely get out of the play-in scenario.
0: Yeah, um, no, I I get that definitely, hundred percent.
1: Yeah. And one thing I want to talk about before we get into what's the verdict is Bradley Beal is now out for the season with a season end- ending wrist surgery. Beal, in his final contract or year now, uh, is going to be meeting with Wizards Brass to figure out what their best next steps are as an organization. So, what do you think about the news coming out of the Wizards and Bradley Beal's camp about him? being out for the rest of the year? And do you think he'll be wearing a Wizards jersey next season?
0: I think it's honestly really deflating. It's really tough now that um, Bradley Beal's out for the year. I think the Wizards, who started out at one point, I remember they were a fun little story. They were at one point in the top three in the standings and looked like a team that maybe these new additions had actually bolstered them. But now it's seemingly like a sure fact that this team will miss the playoffs this year without Bradley Beal. But I think that at the same time, the Wizards are probably still going to retain him next season because think about it. Bradley Beal is a guy that when he was at peak trade value, they were unwilling to trade him and get the type of haul that was being offered for him at the time. They were completely unwilling to do it. And at this point now, Bradley Beal is going to be coming off an injury. He's having a down year. He's averaging 23 points per game, way down from before. His efficiency was down. He is also, I mean not old but he's 28 years old he's also older now than he was when he had his peak trade value and he's also coming off an injury I know it's not the type of injury that anyone expects is going to stop him from returning to full strength but the league is the kind of thing where you just have to see it recently for it to be real so I think that even if it's for a short period of time we will see Bradley Beal return to the Wizards and at least play up his trade value again it's just unfortunate because He's a guy who try to be that loyal guy, kind of in the same vein as Damian Lillard. You stay with an organization that has not been able to put it around you, and you stay because you want to be loyal, and then this happens. So it seems like both these guys who both try to be the loyal soldier both get rewarded with potentially season-ending injuries and basically uncompetitive basketball. So I really hope that um, for both of these guys, they're able to find a situation where we can see them truly compete on a team that has meaningful basketball games in the playoffs before their primes are over.
1: I agree. And it's, like you said, unfortunate for Bradley Beal and for the Wizards. Um, it, we start off the season where sad Brad went to glad Brad, and glad Brad then went to mad Brad again. Then mad Brad is back to sad Brad. And it's unfortunate that. He is having the surgery, wish him a speedy recovery on that wrist. But I think that the Wizards need to really look at themselves in the mirror and understand, are we going to, as an organization, actually be able to allow Bradley Beal to compete for a championship year in and year out? Or do we need to let him go and get back some return for our star player and put him in the best situation that we possibly can so that he can go out and win a championship. Um, And I think that they should go with the latter and not be stubborn with the former because so far it hasn't worked out with Tommy Shepard and Ted Leonisus. So we'll see. But on to our last segment, what's the verdict? I'll ask you a series of questions and you will say whether the person or the situation is innocent or guilty. Ready to go?
0: Ready to do it. Let's go.
1: The Blazers have unloaded talent as we earlier discussed in mass after telling Lillard, they would improve the roster and contend during his prime. However, this year seems wasted. Are the Blazers guilty of wasting Lillard's career and lying to him?
0: I think that they're definitely guilty of doing that because they did explicitly say, I mean, if this, this is one thing If you know, Damian Lillard keeps coming back, but the Blazers don't give him any kind of assurances that things are going to change. But no, this is a situation where we all knew that Damian Lillard came out, said he had a conversation with these guys. He specifically told them, I want to come back, but only if it means competing. I need to see the roster improve. They go and they get Chauncey Billups. Supposedly, he's going to make Damian Lillard happier. All this stuff. And look what it results in. I mean, they end up, not even a full season later, blowing up everything that has been acquired over the last couple of months to convince him that they're making improvements. They even lose the GM. I mean, at this point, the the team is in complete disarray. There is no stability there whatsoever. And they say that they're doing this because they want to build around Damian Lillard fresh. Damian Lillard is 32 years old now. How many years does he have left for them to assemble a championship roster? I just don't see it being realistic. And I think that they're lying through their teeth if they say at this point that they're going to do that because they've shown nothing with these last couple of deals to be getting closer to that position. So I think it's really offensive to a talent like Damian Lillard to do the kinds of deals that you've done after promising him that he would be contending in the short-term future.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's not looking good for that relationship. And I think that while Damian has been the consummate professional and come out even post the CJ trade and say, You know, I understand what they're doing. And we always knew that this would happen. I'm sure in the back of his mind, he's like, seriously, again, like, it's not, you, you guys basically traded away everybody because you want to give Anthony Simons a lucrative deal, which he's 22. I understand that he's going to be commanding a good amount of money, but you're basically making me shoulder even more as the lead of this team, as I'm getting older. And it's not like, like Portland's a beautiful city, Portland's a beautiful place. And I'm sure that people enjoy being in the Portland area, but it's not LA, it's not New York, it's not Miami, it's not Houston. It's not one of these big markets where you as a player are going to get these crazy deals. You're going to probably be running some local ads on the cable news channels because, That's going to be more of the lucrative contracts that you're getting from that city, similar to an Oklahoma City or Indiana Pacers. Like they're just not big markets. And so you're not going to be attracting these large scale free agents that Damian Lillard is going to want to play with. And so you're wasting his prime. You're lying to him by making these foolish trades. And while on the, front of everything he might seem happy I think in reality he's probably fuming but moving on the 76ers are trying to move Simmons for none other than James Harden as we were discussing earlier but the Nets apparently have declined and are declining while in the midst of the worst stretch of their season probably their worst stretch of their last three or four seasons so are the Nets guilty of not giving this trade proper consideration?
0: I think they definitely are. I can understand if they think, you know, Harden is definitely better than Ben Simmons. And I mean, there's a lot of people that would probably agree with that sentiment, including myself. But the thing is, you have to also look at this deal and look at your situation. You have James Harden on this team right now, but you have an unhappy James Harden. We know that James Harden is the kind of player that when he's not motivated, He is not the same guy. He will not give you that MVP level effort. He's just going to coast by, run through the motions, and you're not going to get much out of him. So at that point, is it really worth it? And I think that from a roster construction, the Nets are a team that their biggest flaw is defense. Like they really cannot hold it down on that end of the floor. And defense is probably the only thing that Ben Simmons does well. I think that they have plenty of offense with Kyrie Irving, and with Kevin Durant on the perimeter, Patty Mills, I think that those guys are plenty to, keep, to get you in the game and get you scoring. But I think that Ben Simmons would add another dimension to their team that they don't have right now, would make them a lot better defensively. So I think it would probably make them a little bit more well-rounded. It's not a surefire thing to say that it would be an upgrade, but you're definitely not in a good situation right now. And it may be the best offer you're going to get. And it also does seemingly alleviate your biggest problem. And I think that for the, the 76ers, obviously, it's just an ideal fit to have James Harden with Joel Embiid on that team. So it seemingly isn't such a bad deal that you should just write it off right away that the way that they have.
1: Yeah, there's a couple of things here. The first one is I don't think they're writing it off completely. I think they might be putting that out into the public because they don't want to burn bridges necessarily with James Harden or if they're not truly – really considering it, but I think that they're absolutely having discussions. I think the other piece here is we have to see how much hardball Daryl Mori is playing because if he really does want his guy in James Harden, he's not going to be able to get away with the hey, I want four first rounders and James Harden for Ben Simmons. It's really going to have to be a straight up Simmons for Harden plus I think Seth Curry has been the rumored name. And so if, if they're able to construct that deal that way, then I think that it's a deal that both sides would benefit from, like you are saying. I think the other part too is the 76ers owners might be having a, a bit of indigestion with thinking about a James Harden who has gotten injured as of late getting five-year maximum deal from them while they just had Ben Simmons have this whole holdout with them. So I think that There might be questions about James Harden's health and wanting to give him that max deal in the offseason and then trading away a chip like Ben Simmons. But I think with the stagnation that they've experienced with Ben Simmons, it's better to have a James Harden even for a rental this season and offload the rest of Ben Simmons contract than try to kid themselves into Ben Simmons either coming back to play for them or getting some ridiculous haul for a player who has not played since the end of last season.
0: Right, plus you can't take for granted the fact that you have Joel Embiid right now both playing at an MVP level and healthy. You can't count on that every year. No matter who you are, you're not going to get a healthy MVP season every season from your guy. So who knows, if you can actually pull this off, that is the kind of trade that could potentially bring your team up into the next echelon of contenders.
1: Well, let's see if they bring it up and they, they pull the trigger. But on our last... Uh, LaMelo ball becomes the youngest all-star since LeBron James to make the all-star game with one of the injury replacements with all the other options to consider in the East at guard is the NBA guilty of making the wrong decision and selecting LaMelo over the field.
0: Honestly, I think that they are guilty of selecting him. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, he's having a nice year. You can't say that he's, you know, having a bad year. He's putting up 19.5 points per game, 7.1 rebounds, and 7.5 assists. I mean, he's okay. He's not He's not having a bad year by any means. That could potentially be an all-star level season. But the thing is, his team right now is ninth place. They're not even in the playoffs right now. And there's at least two or three other guys in the East that I would probably say are having better years than he is. I think that the only case that you can make is if you say that Jalen Brown is not a guard. If you say that he has to be a forward, then I can understand because between Tyler Hero and LaMelo Ball, you can maybe argue that even though Tyler Hero is scoring the ball more, maybe LaMelo Ball has a greater overall impact on the game because he averages more assists and rebounds. I can see that, but I really do think that this one should have gone to Jalen Brown, who I think is in every aspect having a better year than he is. Jalen Brown right now is averaging 23.9 points per game. He's also getting himself a solid um, seven rebounds per game. And he's also playing elite defense. And I think that his team right now, even though they're not, you know, an elite contending team, they are ranked seventh. They are at least a playoff team, unlike LaMelo's. So I really do think that um, the only way that you can say it's fair for LaMelo to get the nod over someone like a Jalen Brown, is if you say that he can't be considered a guard.
1: Well, and I would say to build off of that too, is I would also give it to Drew Holiday over Lamella Ball. I think Drew Holiday, if you look at his numbers, Drew Holiday is averaging a little bit less in points, but is doing so on a more efficient basis, shooting better at 50% compared to Lamella's 42%, shooting better from three point at 39% compared to 36%, and is also um, has a higher PER slightly at 20.28 versus 19.72 and so drew holiday is having a great year as well and holds true with all the other facts that you mentioned is on a team that is uh has a higher winning percentage and overall win total is sitting at second overall in the east right now as compared to Lamelo's team uh not making the playoffs or barely making it and so I think it is the league being a bit guilty of, hey, we know that this is going to sell tickets and get people in the stands rather than taking somebody truly over merit like a Jalen Brown who is classified as a shooting guard on uh, ESPN or Drew Holiday at point guard.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's absurd. I think it's just the league basically saying, we know that this is a guy that is very media friendly. He loves being in the spotlight. This is good for publicity. Whereas a guy like a Jalen Brown, maybe not as flashy. Um, he obviously having the better year, but not really the kind of guy that's going to make the casual goer excited. So, and I think you can say the same for Drew Holiday, who also, like you said, very underrated year. Well, with
1: that, at the end of our show, like us on all your podcast players and subscribe and tune in weekly for the latest. Next week, we will definitely delve into all of the woge bombs and sham wows that transpired in the next 24 hours.
0: I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir.
1: Court adjourned. Cause,
0: cause of opinion.